0: Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit eagledrivebaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, read uh, the verses tonight while Justin's getting those, then we'll pass them out. Uh, we're going to start in verse number 17, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So if you need one, go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, he'll pass those out. <laughs> I think it's everyone. It's literally everyone. It's, again, it's, 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 it's Mike Jones' fault. He's never in here, but it's his fault. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 17. The Bible says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord... "...that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind." Uh, Again, we've been talking about vanity and that meaninglessness on Sunday mornings in our Ecclesiastes series. Uh, Verse 18, "...having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness." But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt, according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. All right, let me go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with us in the next few minutes as we study your word and continue this great series and study through the book of Ephesians as we're trying to understand what it means to be engaged in the gospel and letting the gospel really shape our identity as we've talked about in the first three chapters thus far. And Lord, as we hit on these important truths tonight, God, I pray that you'd help us to learn what we need to learn. And Lord, we think of all the many requests that were mentioned tonight as well. And God, I pray that you just continue to take care of our church. Think of those that are in the back with True Trackers and the teen ministry. And I pray that you just continue to bless that. Thankful for the ones that have been saved here recently and the ones that will be getting baptized soon. Just excited about what's going on. And God, I pray that you again uh, work work in our hearts tonight as we study your word. Christ in my prayer. Amen. So, again, a couple weeks ago, we kind of quickly went through this when we had all of the kids in here uh, that night. But I didn't go deep into these, these verses because I wanted to wait. A little bit. We didn't have much time that night. Uh, but the, the key question I asked back then, the key question I'm asking tonight is, does your walk match your talk? Does your walk match your talk? And uh, when I asked that question a couple weeks ago, our, our kids were in here, Nate was in here, and he's like, mom, I don't think my walk matches my talk. And he was trying to, you know, demonstrate it by actually moving his legs and stuff like that and talking. He's like, it doesn't, it doesn't match it. But he just didn't understand. But the question is, does your walk Match your talk. What I mean is, it's very easy to talk a good talk, right? It's very easy to tell people that you're saved, you're a child of God, you're a Christian, that you're living for the Lord, but are you backing it up? That's the key question. And a lot of times that I've learned, even in my own life, I can talk the talk, but am I walking the walk? And that's really what Paul is trying to get here in these seven, eight verses. He's trying to help the church at Ephesus understand these great important truths that you have to live like a Christian. It's not enough to say you're a Christian; you have to live like you're a Christian. Live like you're a child of God. Um, I asked this question too, and I meant to have some pictures concerning it, but I didn't. But how many of you have ever had your your how many of your dress has changed over the years, like your style? Anybody? Yeah, I think a lot of us. That's what we need to do. I'll get you on that for next week, Michael. So. Get pictures of people and let's, let's see all these great styles from the past, right? Wouldn't that be funny? Wouldn't that be, some of you are like, no, I don't, I, I'm going to burn all those pictures. Uh, you look back just in the past like five years sometimes, right? And it's, it's funny, it's amazing just how our style has changed. Now, with that question, let me ask this. What is the purpose of changing? <laughs> what is the purpose of changing? What's the purpose of changing your clothes? Somebody, it's, it's a hard question, I know. Well, what, what's the purpose of changing clothes in general? You just want to be in style, be in style? okay? Are you in style right now, Mistine? No. Okay. <laughs> She's honest. It's it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> you don't stink. That's an important thing. Hopefully, some of you guys that might stink tonight have changed and don't stink right now. Yes, put on. Just to put on clean clothes. Yes. Uh, Yes, yes, (laughs) we understand. Amanda, were you going to say something? No. You just took it off? Okay, they're all taken. Yeah, I mean, you guys understand. The purpose of changing your clothes is so you don't stink. Typically, you don't take a shower and then put on that dirty outfit that you just got out of, right? Some people do. Um, Sixth grade boys typically do that kind of stuff because they're junior high, right? Yeah, (laughs) we've got a couple parents back here like, yeah, it's what they do all the time. Uh, we had the teens over a couple weeks at her house, a couple weeks ago at her house, and I forgot how immature sixth grade boys are, and uh, yeah, just very immature. We had a good time, but oh my goodness, uh, I'm not going to share some of those stories because it's not church appropriate, but we had a good time. Uh, sometimes it takes about 30 years, but they eventually grow up, yes. But the purpose of changing your clothes, your outfit is, one, I mean, a lot of, a lot of different reasons, so you don't stink. Um, you know, you took a shower, you're trying to get clean. So that's what we're trying to hit on tonight. And that's what Paul is trying to address. That once you get saved, you are a new creature. You're a new creation. So act like you're saved. Live like you're saved. But a lot of times, instead of living like we're saved, we live like our past self, right? We live like that old man, that old nature. Now, let me ask this question and we'll jump into it tonight. What are some distinctions between a Christian, a child of God, and a non Christian? What are some distinctions between a Christian and a non Christian? <laughs> that's, that's good. One's on their way to heaven, one's on their way to hell. Okay. She just took everyone's answer right there. <laughs> what, are, what are some other distinctions of a Christian and a non Christian? Bear, Bear fruit. Okay. What else? Yes, should look different. Very good. That's an important thing. What else? Talk different? Like I'll talk with a southern accent? Is that what you're saying? Okay, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Have different attitude? Yes, exactly. He take yours? Man, everyone's taking everyone's tonight. Preach the gospel? There's a lot of distinctions we can talk about, but again, a Christian should look different than a non-Christian, right? A Christian should act different than a non-Christian, right? Should walk and talk and all of those things. So as we get into this section here, here's what Paul is addressing. Our new identity, understanding again, who we are in Christ. We spent weeks in chapter one talking about who we are in Christ. Again, if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, you have a new identity. Your identity is no longer tied to who you were, Right? Remember that, because in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, you who were what? Dead. So if you're a child of God, are you still dead? No, you're not. So again, and again, it's kind of a quick synopsis of this lesson tonight that we'll dive deeper into, but if you're a child of God, if you're saved, you were dead, but Paul says you've been what? You've been quickened, you've been made alive. So there's a distinct difference between someone that is dead and someone that's alive, right? Yes, we've all seen people that are dead. We've all seen people that are alive. Look around. Most people in here are alive, I think. But there's a distinct difference between someone that is dead and someone that is alive. Just like there should be a distinct difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. But is the world, can they see that distinct difference? Sadly, a lot of times, no, right? And what we're doing is we're, Carrying that old nature, that old self with us. And one of the great challenges in the Christian life is to continue to put off the old and put on the new. In verse 17 through 19, here's what Paul is referencing. Don't live like a pagan. (laughs) Don't live like a pagan. He says in verse number 17, This I say therefore in testifying the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. What he's referencing here is in this culture. The Gentiles, typically, not all of them, but he's talking about an unbeliever, someone that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened and being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance um, that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So again, when he says, uh, your walk should be different than Gentiles, he's saying, don't live like a pagan. The Christian life is pretty simple when you think about it. The Bible gives us the commands that we're supposed to follow, right? But a lot of times we try to muddy it up. We try to complex it more than it needs to be. The simplicity of salvation, the simplicity of the gospel, is actually trusting God, believing God, obeying God. So Paul's exhortation here is this. Don't live like a non-Christian. Is that simple? Yes, it is. Now, is it sometimes harder to act like? Yes, it is. But here's what he's saying. Don't live like a non-Christian. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you're saved, should you live like a saved person? Yes. If you're not a Christian, should you live like a Christian? No, because you're not a Christian. You're going to live like someone that's not saved. But if you're saved, live like someone that's saved, not someone that's unsaved. A Christian shouldn't live, get this, shouldn't live like the culture around them. Should they? No. Again, there should be a distinction between us and the culture. And I'm going to show you five or six things that Paul shows us in these verses. He shows us several ways that a pagan or an unbeliever, a non-Christian, walks. The first thing, verse number 17. Pagans walk in the vanity of their mind. They walk in the vanity of their mind, as it says here. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles in the vanity of their mind. This word can be better translated futility, which basically means pointless, meaningless. Remember on Sunday mornings? Uselessness. The mind includes the ability to will, to do the truth, as well as know the truth. A mind that is full of God is an individual that walks the way of God intended them to walk. But listen, when men push God out of their minds, their minds are void and empty of God, and of His truth and morality. It's why people, even Christians, act the way that they want, because they haven't filled themselves up with God. they filled themselves up more with the world. So Paul is distinctly telling these Ephesians here, because he knows there's a problem. This was a very wicked culture. We talked about this back in chapter 1. Very wicked culture. Had a lot of different gods that they served and that they bowed down to. I mean, you, you compare it to, to one of our major cities in the United States, compared to like Las Vegas or even New York City. Great cities, but very wicked cities, right? This was the culture of Ephesus. So Paul knew that it's hard to live like a Christian when you're in a culture around you that is anti-Christ. But he's saying if you want to, to do what God wants you to do and you want to make a difference and an impact on the community around you, You can't look like them. You can't act like them. You have to act like Christ. You have to have your mind full of Christ. And Paul is taking a direct approach at the majority of the inhabitants in in this Greco-Roman empire. So many of them were aiming at meaninglessness or meaningless goals with silly methods. And here's a great description of meaningless. A foolish method aiming at a foolish goal. And a lot of times in our Christian lives, we are living foolishly, aiming at foolish goals. We've been hitting on this the past five or six weeks on Sunday mornings. There's a difference. There's this distinction. There should be meaning to our life and not this meaninglessness and not this futility. The second thing he says is this pagans walked walk blindly. It says with their understanding darkened in verse number 18. To understand means to grasp, to comprehend, to perceive. To be darkened means to be blinded and unable to see. Um, We've all been in situations where we can't see. It's not fun, right? Would you want to go around blind all the time? No, I'm thankful that I can see. There are certain times where I wish I wouldn't see what I saw, but I'm thankful for the ability to see. Now, just imagine you have the ability to see, like I believe most people in here have the ability to see. All of a sudden, something happens to you, you go blind. And then you get your eyesight back. Wouldn't that be a great thing? But how many would, would after that happened, would be like, you know what? I'd rather be blind. Probably none of us, right? We want to be able to see. So Paul is saying here again, a pagan, a non-believer, really walks blindly. They don't have an understanding. So a Christian shouldn't walk around aimlessly, blindly. An unbeliever cannot comprehend God. They can't see God. But a Christian has the ability to understand God's plans. So when you understand God's plans, then live accordingly. Now think about this. Again, if you're blind and all of a sudden you can see, why would you want to go back to being blind? So if you've been saved from that wicked lifestyle, why would you want to go back to that wicked lifestyle? Why would you want it to continue to tie you down? We've referenced this throughout this whole series. Again, remember, uh, those giant pachyderm, those elephants in the, um, in the circus, they'd, they'd start out tying them to a, to a mighty stake and having a chain wrapped around their leg, and eventually they'd just have a little wooden stake with a little um, uh, piece of rope. Can an elephant break free from that? Yes, they can. You've seen how big the elephants are. But in their mind, I can't break free. This is holding me back. All they had to do was what? Rip it apart. But that's what we've done in our Christian life sometimes. We have tied ourselves down when Jesus Christ at salvation has set us free. But no, 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 I I have to live this way. I have to live in bondage. Why? We've been free. Jesus has set us free. So again, don't walk blindly. Don't live blindly with your understanding being darkened. Third thing, verse number 18. uh, Pagans walk alienated from the life of God. This means estranged or cut off or detached. If something is cut off from something, it's not part of that, right? If I were to, to rip a page out of the Bible, it's it's detached. So a pagan walks alienated from the life of God. They don't know God. They've been cut off from God. They're cut off from the spiritual life and their hearts are hardened. A fourth thing, verse number 19, who being past feeling, this, this phrase past feeling really better uh, translation of this would be callousness. Pagans walk callous. Ever got a callous? Just kind of hardens and you, know, you can kind of go on doing things. It didn't really hurt anymore. It's That's, that's kind of what, what it means. This phrase, past feeling, basically says that they've reached a point where they're no longer having feelings for God and His standard of morality. The more a person walks without God, the more a person becomes callous towards God. And this can happen in a Christian's life. The more we walk away from God, the more callous we are towards God. The more a person walks in sin, the more acceptable sin becomes. A believer is not supposed to walk in sin, are they? Because we've been redeemed from that life. So if we've been redeemed, why do we choose to go back? The fifth thing, as we continue walking through this, pagans walk in promiscuity. Spelling's up there. Promiscuity. This word lasciviousness, again translated in our English language today, is more promiscuity. It's talking about all forms of sensual and sexual living that completely goes against the standard of God and His Word. The standard that God has set in order. I want you to listen to me. It's very easy for us today in our society and in our churches to write off things as acceptable, right? Because that's what everyone else is doing. It's acceptable to live a certain way because the culture around us is living that way. But if it goes against God's word, is it acceptable? No, it's not. I can hit on this for a long time, but I'm not going to, but the the point I'm trying to make and the point Paul is trying to make is this, if you're saved don't live like you're not saved. Don't live like that former self. Pagans walk around in lasciviousness and promiscuity. <laughs> Again, the Bible is very clear on certain things, is it not? It's clear on adultery. It's clear on fornication. And this is a big deal to a lot of people in churches. And a lot of people will shy away from that. And, and I don't know who's living in what. And I, I, that, that's, that's beside the point. But the point that Paul is hitting at is don't live like this. That lasciviousness, that promiscuity lifestyle, that sensual lifestyle is against God's word. But again, we take the scripture and interpret what we want to interpret, right? And again, I know this is a tough message tonight, but it's right here in the text. We take the scripture and twist it and interpret however we want it to interpret. Well, I like that, but I don't like this, so I'm not going to follow this. And the culture around me lives this way, and I want to be accepted, so I'm going to live this way. But is it more important to be accepted by our culture or accepted by God? By God. Again and again, I know this is tough. This is tough teaching and preaching tonight. But don't live like a pagan. This word uncleanness means dirty and filthy. It's referring to a lifestyle that is unclean and immoral and polluted. It goes on, this word greediness in verse number 19. It means coveting, craving, desiring to have more and more. These people lack a moral restraint, which often leads to a sexual obsession and a total perversion of the way that God made us. And we're not gonna have time to read all these passages, but on your own, it might be in your notes, it might not, but compare this passage to things like Romans chapter one, verse 18 through 32, and Galatians chapter five and Ephesians chapter five, verse three through twelve. Get this down. In these texts, Paul speaks of the corrupt nature of the flesh and how idolatry leads to immorality. Idolatry is putting something ahead of God, right? Again, we think of idolatry in our minds and we think that Old Testament lifestyle, it's bowing down to some image. But idolatry is anything that takes the place of God, right? It is. Anything that takes the place of God and his rightful place is idolatry. And idolatry always leads to immorality. What were the people of Israel doing when they were bowing down to that golden calf? They were living in immorality because of the idolatry that was there. You look at the idolatrous nation of Israel and the idolatrous nation of of, uh, a lot of the the Old Testament nations that lived a promiscuous life, a life that was against God and His Word. It always leads to that. You see, left to ourselves, we are vile creatures. And even though some may seem less vile than others, all are still in desperate need of Christ, right? Right? but there's good news. You see, God can transform anyone by His grace. And the important thing to understand is this, your witness makes a huge difference to those around you. The old man wants to represent you, but we've been redeemed from that man. So don't live like a pagan. Your life is making an impact on those who are watching you. I read this illustration. I think it's a great illustration to help prove this point. But there was an old man that was walking up and down the beach around dawn and he noticed the young man ahead of him. He was picking up starfish and throwing them back into the sea. When the older man caught up with the younger man, he asked, what are you doing? The young man told him that these starfish would die if if they were left there on their own. The old man responded, but the beach goes on for miles and there are millions of starfish. How can you expect to make a difference? The young man looked at the starfish in his hand and responded, It makes a difference to this one. Look, we may not be able to affect millions of people. But we can affect one or two or 10 or 20, right? Your life means something. And it affects people around you. Your life is making an impact on those around you. Those that have kids, you understand that. Your kids are watching you, right? They know what you do, how you act and what you say. You hear words coming out of their mouth like, where'd you get that from? It's probably from mom or dad. Sometimes it's at school, but they, they respond and they, they see what we're doing, how we're living, how we respond to certain situations. Now, let me ask this question before we go on. Why do you think Christians tend to walk like pagans? Kind of a tough question, but not really. Why do you think Christians tend to walk like pagans? satan's in their head okay that's good what else by do what by that's good acceptance by other people what else why do you think christians tend to live like non-christians yes oh that's very good it's comfortable it's very comfortable right what else that's very good what else habit who you hang with, habit, who you hang with. yes very good what else Haven't grown spiritually. That's very good. These are, these are really good. Oh, no, nothing. Sorry. What else? Come on, come on. Because maybe the church they go to, everybody there lives that way. Oh, that's, that's very good as well. Maybe the church they go to, everyone else lives that, that way as well. So why do I need to change? Where's the encouragement? That's really good. Why else? Why do you think Christians tend to live like pagans? Justin, say that hand. Yeah, very comfortable. Michael, what about you? Um, Seems fun. fun. Yeah. Because they're not in the Word. word. Yeah. I mean, we can go on and on. Yes. It's easy. easy. Yeah. Yeah. Easy, comfortable, not in the Word. It's growing. Yes. Very good. It is easier to live like the world than to live like Christ. you You don't have to think about it. And again, it goes back to Solomon. Go ahead and have fun with life, but is it going to bring satisfaction? Is it going to bring meaning to your life? Purpose in your life? No, it's not going to bring any of that because Solomon, a man that had it all, again, he had a, a net worth north of $2 trillion in today's society. He's a man that had everything he could possibly want. Thousand women. But he said it's, it's worthless. It's meaningless. It's vanity. It's like chasing, chasing the wind. And, men, you guys hit it on it perfectly tonight. Why do Christians tend to walk like, like non Christians, like pagans, like the world? Because it's easy, because it's comfortable. Now, let me ask this question What happens when Christians live like this? They don't set a good example. Children tend to follow in your footsteps. Bonnie? Yeah, exactly. Causes confusions to, to non-believers who are watching. So, I mean, Bonnie kind of hit on it, but who is affected when a Christian lives like this? What? God? Who else? Yourself? Christians? The world? A lot of people are affected, right? Because, oh, I thought you were saved. I, it, it's almost comical that sometimes non-Christians, non-believers, people that don't go to church, know more about the Bible than we know, Right? like, oh, I didn't think a Christian is supposed to live like that. I didn't think you're supposed to go there. I didn't think you're supposed to drink that. I didn't think you're supposed to to act like that. Oh, no, it's okay. We're under grace, right? We like to use that so often. Well, we're under grace. It's all good. God's going to forgive me. (laughs) You have a messed up view of God. You have a messed up view of grace. You see, here's the application in this three verses that Paul is saying. The point Paul makes is clear. If you're a new creation, then you should think, Respond and act differently than the world. Think, respond, and act differently than the world. So I guess the question for us is, do we? Do we think differently than the world? Do we respond differently than the world? Do we act differently? You know, the response is huge. And I, and I struggle with this. I think a lot of us struggle with this. When someone does you wrong, your first response is to do right to them, right? No, <laughs> pinch them. Okay, you're nicer than me. Uh, <laughs> Violet just wants to pinch him. I want to do far worse. I can't say anything because we're live. But, <laughs> yeah, we can cut this out later. But I don't always respond the way I want. To. I should respond. Because someone does me wrong, my immediate reaction, like Justin's pointing back there, you know, punch them in their face. Or do something far worse. But a Christian shouldn't respond that way. So then let's go on to the second point. If you're a saved person, you shouldn't live like a pagan. What you should do is live as a new creation. Live as a new creation. Look at these verses. Let me read through them quickly and then we'll walk through them. Verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. What he's referencing here, and we'll hit this in just a second, but what he's referencing is, does Christ live a life, or did, did Jesus, when he was on this earth, did he live a life of promiscuity? Did he live a life of uncleanness? Of greed? No, he didn't live that. You don't learn these things from Christ, do you? You learn them from the flesh, you learn them from the world, from Satan. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him. How are we taught by him? By his word, through the teaching and preaching on Sundays and Wednesdays and Bible studies and all those things. As the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So Paul explains why we shouldn't live like pagans, and in these five verses, here's what Paul describes coming to Christ. Verses 20 and 21. Remember your Christ-centered education. Basically what he's saying is, you know, the things that you've been taught about Christ, who he is, what he, what he wants you to do, uh, studying his word. Remember that education. That education is important when you become a Christian. You don't merely learn about the teachings of Jesus. You develop a relationship with him, right? And that's the difference between any other religion. This religion of Christianity is a relationship religion. And the most important question that must be asked tonight is this have you come to know Jesus as your personal Savior? I hope so. But if not, you can't expect to live like a new creation because you're not a new creation. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart to forgive you of your sins, to save you of your sins, then you can't expect to have a personal relationship with Him. And really, before we go on, that's what needs to be settled. That's what must be said. I'm not going to go around and ask you all personally, but are you saved? Are you a child of God? Have you asked Jesus to save you? Because if you haven't, then I wouldn't expect you to live differently from the world. But if you are saved, I would expect you to. And it's not just my expectation as a pastor. It's Jesus' expectations, God's expectations, right? So, In this phrase to learn Christ back in verse 20 again means to have a personal relationship with Christ, getting to know him better on a day by day basis. We can learn Christ because he's not dead, is he? He's alive. Therefore, we can learn him through his personal or through the personal relationship with him. You know, anybody ever tried to get rid of weeds in your yard? Anybody? All right. Three of us. Okay, good. Um, I think most of us have. Typically, you don't just cut off the top, right? What happens if you just cut off the top? They They're going to grow back. Sometimes they grow back even more. You think of like those uh, dandelions or whatever, you know, like the, the blow and everything like that. that. That's great, right? It's fun, but it doesn't necessarily help anything. Sometimes it spreads more weeds. Maybe you're trying to spread it to your neighbor's yard or whatever, but uh, you typically don't chop off the top. What you do is you get to the root, right? You get to the root, you pull up the root of that weed so that you can kill that weed. The root of a futile mind is sin that is in us. And this is important. You can't learn Christ from sin that sprouts from a futile mind. We can't learn about Christ through sin because Jesus had no sin, right? Right? Right. Jesus had no sin. Rather... Through sin, you get further away from Christ and further away from being able to witness about Christ. How can you truly witness about Christ if you're living a life of sin? You can't, really. No one's going to take you seriously. If you're a Christian, then live like a Christian. Live like you've been chosen, like you've been accepted, like you've been redeemed and forgiven. Live like the new man and not the old man. Now, so many Christians have a messed up view of God and sin. You don't relate better to sinners by sinning with them. Did you listen to that? You don't relate better to sinners by sinning with them. Let me tell you a story that I heard. I read of a man who believed that in order to have a better relationship with his non-Christian friends who got drunk every weekend, he needed to get drunk with them so that he could understand what they were doing and what they were going through and have a common ground with them so that he could better witness to them. I'm sorry, but that's just stupid. That's foolish. You don't have a better witness with a non-believer by living a lifestyle that they're living. You have a better witness by living a different lifestyle. But how many times in our Christian lives do we, oh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I'm really trying to reach out to these people and I really want to help them, so I'm going to live like them. Is that going to make a difference? No, it's not. So Paul says, hey, live like a new creation. Look, Jesus is the teacher, we're the student. The student should follow in the teacher's steps, right? And again, did Jesus ever sin? Did he live a life of sin? No, Jesus was around the culture. He was around the community. But I don't think Jesus was out murdering people, right? I don't think Jesus was out getting drunk with people. I don't think Jesus was out you know, living and partying it up and just you know, having a grand old time in sin. No, he wasn't doing that because he was showing us a better way. Look, if you want to understand sin, just look at what the Bible says about sin. (laughs) Look at the effects that sin has on a person. And the first point here is this, remember your new creation again. Verse 22 through 24, in understanding our new identity, we have to understand that we are no longer part of the old corruption of sin. We belong to the new creation in Christ. And get this down. As a Christian, it's time we take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. Grave clothes are nasty. They're disgusting. I think of the story of Lazarus when he came out of the grave. I don't think he continued wearing those grave clothes. Do you know why? Because he'd been dead for three days. and I'm sure he He stunk. I'm sure those clothes stunk. I'm sure the first thing he wanted to do was get rid of those grave clothes and put on some new clothes. So if you're a Christian, what you should do is take off the grave clothes. Now let me reference something in one of my uh, commentaries that I'm reading, and really they, they do it better justice than I could. This command to put away particular sin is based on the fact that the old self has already been removed and the new self has already been put on. John Stott says, It is because we have already put off our old nature in that decisive act of repentance called conversion that we can logically be commanded to put away all these practices which belong to the old rejected life. And what Paul is saying here in these verses is we were corrupted by deceitful desires and we should not wear those garments any longer. We should be like Christ, right? And then he references this and I really wanted to read this. He said after spending about 35 days in the Ukraine in an effort to adopt our four children, my wife and I finally had permission to go home with them. All of the legal work was done. We were eager to show them love in many ways including cleaning them up, giving them some new clothes. They had been wearing the same smelly clothes and the same worn worn out shoes every day since we arrived. Once we had permission to leave, we brought bought them some brand new outfits. Kimberly took the older two children, and I took the younger two. I told the girls via translator, girls, we're going home. Little Victoria asked, forever? I said, yes, forever. Their faces lit up, and then I gave them their denim dresses, socks, shirts, and more. They went to the bathroom and changed every garment. In their orphanage, upon leaving, the children had to leave behind every piece of clothing they had been wearing. He says, what a picture of the gospel. They put off their old orphanage garments and put on their new clothes from their adoptive parents. New clothes, new identity, new home, new security, and a new way to live. And that's the gospel right there. That's what Jesus has done for us. He tells us to take off the old clothes, take off the nasty, stinky lifestyle of sin that we used to live in and put on Christ. In verse 22, the old man refers to all that we were once, or all that we once were, back in verses 17 through 19. But if you're a child of God, if you're saved, you don't wear that garment anymore, or at least you shouldn't. Verse 24, where it says, put on, and you put on the new man. Put off the old man, take off the old man, put on the new man. Verse 24 refers to the new man and our new self and our new identity. Look, there's a difference between the two, right? There's a difference between the old man and the new man, right? Yes, there is. The old man is corrupt, is deceitful, is on his or her way to hell. The new man is redeemed, forgiven, on their way to heaven. So live like it. Act like it. And get this down. The new man, verse number 24, is created in righteousness and holiness. This is good. Look what it says, and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Here's what it boils down to. Remember you're a new creation. Your new self is a life of renewal. You are being renewed. That's what it says in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is present tense. It means it's an ongoing process. We need constant renewal of our minds. We need a constant reminder of our new identity. And that's why I've hit so hard on this in this study. We need to understand who we are in Christ. Because a lot of times in our churches and in Christianity in general, we do not understand who we are in Christ. And we're still trying to put on the old man. When the old man is supposed to be removed, instead of putting on the new man. Look, our minds have been corrupted by sin. Again, that's why renewal is so important. This is why we must do this. We must renew and wash and clean them through God's Word. We must meditate on that which is good. I think of what it says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Think on things that are true, that are honest, that are loved, that are pure, that are just, that are... Right? Those are the things that we're supposed to think about. And I think the question that we have to ask ourselves, and I've really, I've hit on this in this whole series, and it's, I think it's really hit deep with some people because it's made them think. How do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? And, I, and I've heard this, and again, people are like, oh, it's just you know controversial and you know, it's heresy and this and that. From the moment you get saved, God refers to you as a saint, right? As a child of God. In God's eyes, in God's eyes, since you've been saved, since you've been redeemed, does he consider you a sinner, a vile, worthless creature? No. He does not consider you that way anymore. But we do. I'm vile. I'm worthless. I'm just a a no good, nothing sinner. No, you were. You don't have to continue to be. But we use that as an excuse, don't we? I'm just a sinner. And again, we say, I'm a sinner, said by grace. And I, I understand what we're saying, But how do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as a vile, wicked creature? Well, you might have been. But if you're saved, that's not who you are in Christ's eyes. It's a constant battle, again, of the old man and the new man. Until we get to heaven, we have to live with the corruption of this flesh. Because our bodies are aging and decaying, are they not? Just look around and see the bodies that are aging and decaying. That's all from the curse of sin. But from God's perspective, the old man has been counted dead. Romans chapter six, verse six. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him. Crucified means killed, right? The old man in God's eyes has been crucified, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. Romans six eleven. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have come to know Christ, and if we're saved, we are a child of God. Praise God for that, right? And our mind is being renewed when we do what God has asked us to do. We are being empowered to live out the gospel and be engaged in the gospel identity that Paul is trying to get across here. And verses 17 through 24 is absolutely essential because they tell us where the power comes from. It comes from God. We need new hearts, new desires, new minds, new power. Again, this is very doctrinal. explains who we are so that we know how we must live. And that's what we're going to hit on next week. But here's the core truth. Believers are called to live out their new identity in Christ with a lifestyle that is different from the world and different from their pre-Christian past. So if your lifestyle is not different than your pre-Christian past, then maybe you need to ask yourself if you're truly saved. Or ask God to forgive you because you've been taking the easy path, right? The convenient path, the comfortable path, that I'd rather live in the bondage of sin instead of being free in Christ, instead of being redeemed. And it blows my mind that I do this and that many of you in here have done this too. I'd rather live in sin. I'd rather live in bondage. Why? You've been free. Set free. Don't live like a pagan. Live like a new creation. Look, you might not be excited about this, but I am. We must live in light of our new identity. It's time to take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. And that's what I want to encourage you tonight with. Understand who you are in Christ. And If you need more help with this, I'd, I'd be glad to help you and show you. Really, go back on our website or, or our app and listen to these messages in the series because it'll help you understand who you are in Christ. And the, the reality is it doesn't matter how many, how many years people have been saved, a lot of Christians don't even know who they are in Christ because they're still living like the world instead of being one that's been set free and one that is no longer in bondage. And I know we're gonna mess up because that old man, that new man, it, there, there, there is a constant fight because of the curse of sin that is in this world today, but so often we just give into it. Ah, It's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. If we're trying to be like Christ, then we must act like Christ. We must think like Christ. We must be like Christ.